severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Get A Real Job, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives and creatives alike from across the creative industry. I'm of course your host, Jamie McKinley, and this week's intro has been recorded from Elliot's fancy studio, so it's always nice to do these intros with Elliot sitting right next to me, staring at me to make sure I'm I'm talking into the mic. Thank you, appreciate that. But yeah, before we get into this week's episode, which we have another great episode, I just wanted to, to sort of say that so far, the last month since we came back after a wee break, it's just been great. Like, you know, we'd put out four absolute belters of episodes. It's just, yeah, it's just been a really good return. And I'm really happy people enjoyed last week's live special and particularly had quite a lot of feedback on our episode with Jane McCary. A lot of still game fans tuning in, which was nice. So I'm glad people enjoyed. Remember, we'd, we'd made now, like, this is episode 55. So there's lots and lots of great conversations with some really amazing creatives so if you haven't listened to our back catalogue be sure to go back and, and check some of the episodes out there's some great ones there but yes anyway without much further ado it's time to introduce this week's guest and speaking to us on the podcast this week is artist and writer Joe Caps. now Joe I met he did the same course as me the year after so that's where we cross paths and Joe's a lovely guy he's a very very talented artist and I've been trying to get him on the podcast for a while so we finally a couple of weeks ago sat down and recorded something which was great a really nice conversation we got to have lots of nice art chat and yeah it was very very fun I enjoyed it I actually saw Joe yesterday we we went and watched the Manchester Derby together which was a very forgettable experience so we're not well the less said about that the better but no I really appreciated Joe coming on it's a very fun conversation I'm sure you're going to enjoy it and something which is really good about this week's episode is Joe is a great example of what this podcast is sort of all about because Joe worked as a teacher for seven years and and left to go and pursue the arts and the reason I mention this is Elliot Mitchell who's right now sitting on my left our lovely editor has got quite big news this week so I'll quickly before we we go into this week's episode why don't you tell the listeners your big news I'm leaving my real job so Elliot has just quit his real job to go and pursue his dreams uh, and work in the creative industries a bit more, which is very exciting. So we're, we're very happy for you finally doing that because as listeners will know in previous episodes, Elliot has talked about his horrible job and how he doesn't like it. So yeah, very exciting. So we're very chuffed for you. But anyway, it's time for this week's episode with Joe Caps, artist and writer. I hope you enjoy and I'll be back at the end. Hi Joe, how are you doing? Nice to see you. Hi Jamie, nice to see you too. I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm all right. It was my first gig back after two years nearly last night. So that was cool, but also a bit weird, like, you know, being in a room with people again and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not been back yet. I've been meaning to. I've missed a couple of gigs just by poor planning. Who did you go and see? I saw Fontaine's DC, which oh, was nice. great. Yeah, very good yeah, to yeah, the yeah. Barras. So I know oh, just my brain's not used to crowds yet so I was a little bit like this doesn't feel re- quite real yet I know I think I'm bad in a big crowd at the best of times you know so so now it's maybe an excuse to step a bit further back yeah absolutely well Joel I've I kind of wanted to have you on the podcast for a long time so I really appreciate you like coming on finally and as I was saying to you we haven't actually had a lot of artists on the podcast and and you're quite a good person to have on as well because you're quite multifaceted and very creative because you also are a musician and a writer and an artist so like I think you're a very good person to have on this podcast. Well, yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, no, no, absolute pleasure. And also like something which, I mean, we'll get into this, but what's also really interesting, you're quite a good example for the ethos of this podcast, because I know you like quit a job in your later 20s to like go and pursue the creative industry. So it, you're kind of like a perfect fit for this podcast. But I'm looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> yeah, cool. I mean, I'm not sure if I'd use the label success story just yet, because it's all a work in progress, isn't it? But <laughs> yeah, in terms of taking risks and, you know, it's all about investment, isn't it, really, and, and how we spend our time and how we choose to spend our time. And yeah, it was definitely a really proactive decision to readjust my priorities a little bit when I left. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, no one really, I mean, success is such a vague term anyway. So yeah. I mean, to me, success is happiness and like do what you love, really. So I feel like, you know, you're doing that anyway. So exactly. no, you're completely right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's been so far, I mean, it's only really been a year and a half or just over a year since I quit. So 
just for some context, I worked in a further education college teaching English for seven years following my undergrad in English literature. And yeah, I, in a lot of ways, it was super fulfilling on a personal level, but there's only so far that it can go to scratch that creative itch. And I just thought that if I, you know, if I don't leave now, then I might end up regretting it. And I'd never felt like I'd fully spent, you know, the energy that I sort of feel like I, I had sort of put to one side. I never thought sort of spent that energy uh, on the right things or pursuing things as far as I could possibly pursue them. So yeah, I left to study screenwriting, which is where you yeah. and I crossed paths in Edinburgh, and also to pursue work as a freelance visual artist as well. Yeah, which is great. I mean, we, we got lost to unpack, lost to unpack, but let's, let's cast ourselves back a, a, a while back. <laughs> So the first question we ask on the podcast is, of course, I know you'd listen before, so I don't, I don't know why I have to always like preload every question by saying we always no, ask this. Good. I just do this yeah, all the yeah. time. I like to ask us. Yeah, you catch yourself doing it. Anyway, but no, we like to ask everyone on the podcast, but what's your sort of earliest creative memories? And like, do you remember, because obviously, especially like being an artist and a writer and like, mm. do you remember what was there like, were you just a creative child or do you remember like there was a particular area you're quite interested in? I mean, I was quite a shy child. So I think that probably meant that I spent a lot of time thinking and internalizing the world into small drawings or little stories. But I, I definitely remember, I mean, I can't remember the first time I started drawing, but I definitely remember a significant part of my childhood was spent with those kind of how-to books, you know, or those uh, definitely... One of my first memories of visual art is, is that I remember drawing some cavemen. And I think in truth, I probably remember that because it went wrong. It might actually be, I don't know what that really reveals about me, but my, one of my first creative memories is one of the times I was drawing something where I maybe hit a bit of a snag or it didn't turn out the way that I wanted. But yeah, and little things I was really obsessed with, with dinosaurs and sort of the prehistoric era. So collecting those sort of <laughs> monthly magazines where you might build your own dinosaur yeah, skeleton. Yeah, I, rem- I remember clearly, them. I remember and, you know, those that, magazines. <laughs> that incremental ripoff where it's like, okay, well, your first one, the first one's basically 2.99 and you get the skull and that's a big deal but to actually get the spine it's like 7.99 next week and all this so that sort of stuff and I think you know the title that the first time I really thought about and again this must have been age whatever age it is that most ask people what they want to be when they're older for a long time I would say a cartoonist which in hindsight I think is basically my parents way of framing my drawing as something that could be a career right? So cartoonist with a capital C. People do that. That sounds like something that people do in an office, right? So obviously my style has has ended up being nothing nothing like that. But it was, yeah, it was very sort of cartoon orientated. And I would sort of draw and copy my favourite characters from shows. You know, I remember entering some TV competitions where I used far too much like glitter gel. And there was a Waterstones competition, I remember when I was maybe six or seven, where I, I won a competition for shading in a particularly sort of vibrant looking polywag from Pokemon. So this sort of thing, this conflation of, you know, sort of 90s child memorabilia, but in a sort of art context. Yeah, I used to love those. I don't know if you ever ever had these, but most tourist gift shops, you get those little scratch boards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like this little like uh, trace cat or some pelicans or something <laughs> and you'd go over it with your scratch pen. I used to love those things. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a, that's a good, that sounds fun. I remember those though. I mean, I'm dyslexic, so like my attempts at drawing and stuff were just terrible. So like I, that would always put me off about it. I'm always so jealous. I, I still am. I don't know why. I, I just find art so interested, like people that are really good at drawing. I've always like wanted to be able to do it. So I, whenever I speak to people that can, I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just interests me. It's a strange one for me because in general sense, in a general sense, I'm not a super practical person. So, you know, it, I'm awful at DIY cooking anything else that involves kind of motor skills but for some reason art is the one thing you know 2d surfaces <laughs> art is the one thing that, where it seems to click a little bit you know yeah no that's, that's interesting but like see also as a as a child and a teenager and stuff as well as the art where you did you ever write as a child or was that something that came later and also as as you're a musician i guess as well mm. were you playing a lot of musical instruments when you're younger and things so insofar as the writing goes i don't I mean, I remember writing the sort of obvious poems that they meant to write in primary school. I remember writing one about autumn. And we're recording this in autumn, actually, so that's a strange yeah, little... Yeah, it's very, it works. Yeah, yeah, strange little neatness. But my main, the main projects that I remember from primary school, I remember working, I was, I was lucky enough to have a group of creative friends. We went to a very small primary school, maybe 20 people in our year, and made some of my best friends at primary school. I don't know, we, we might talk about this a little bit more later, but I don't know if it's a symptom of growing up in quite a small rural village but we spent a lot of time 
on creative projects just in the playground and in lessons or in breaks so we even we, we kind of drafted up this whole series we were in, inspired quite heavily by there's a, a kids book series called the edge chronicles which got some amazing illustrations by chris riddle so i mean for me you know later i'd go to discover people like william blake and alistair gray but at the time that was the first time i would seen writing and, and drawing sort of mm. adhere so so fantastically but we designed a clearly plagiarized in some facets but designed our, our whole series called the elementary chronicles where we designed all these sort of you know gods of the elements and these characters and it was great fun i mean in some ways more productive than than we've ever been since you know because because <laughs> you don't have those barriers and you don't have those issues of confidence and stuff and yeah we'd be doing all sorts we'd be designing levels for our favorite games we'd be writing strange short story fantasy openings mm. and yeah from there it, it kind of it kind of grew and in in the sense of, of music I wasn't especially musical when I was growing up at that age I had a couple of guitar lessons but it was only really when I was I started playing bass when I was 15 I really wanted to be a drummer but I grew up on a terrace like a really quiet you know remote terrace as well so I don't think the neighbors would have really you know welcomed a massive sort of bass drum in my garage quite so quite so easily yeah so that came a little bit later but writing and painting certainly from as early as I can remember yeah well I mean you started to sort of almost answer that the, the, the next question in the podcast which is about how where you're from has influenced yeah. your creativity but also something I want to quickly unpick from what you just said was yeah, about yeah. like that being a child almost gives you that freedom to to create and I think it so does because I think when you're an adult you're always thinking about like oh, I've got to pay the rent or oh, I've got to do a, sure. this is a really banal example but I've got dishes to do later I've got washing Absolutely. To do. whereas like when you're a child you just don't have any worries in the same way so you could just fully immerse yourself in whatever and I think we probably as creatives don't act activate our like child state enough almost like of play and like that yeah. way of being creative so yeah. I thought that was really interesting for sure I think it's definitely some advice that I've been given before when writing is that you know in, in the drafting stage and it's true of, of painting as well is you know when you're when you're sort of cultivating your ideas or getting the feel for a piece it's important to let go of that rational brain and it's super hard to do so I'm really really bad at it actually because you always have that you know on one hand it's that kind of practical sense like you say of okay well how long have I got that I can spend on this or what if this doesn't reach a certain point by next Tuesday and there's also the other strand to it which is that cynical brain which is like okay well this isn't very good or people aren't going to like this or you know this isn't as good as the last piece you did and you know as a child I think you're just immune to that you know that sort of self-criticism and it's yeah it's definitely something that we should all strive to to regain I think you know at least something that we should be able to turn off and on when needed yeah, absolutely and just to follow on to the i mean this the second part of of my question about where you, how you are from has influenced you like where actually are you from again it's the lake is lake district issue yeah i can't yeah, so I, remember that yeah 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 so i grew up in a, a small village called staveley which is near kendall in the lake district so like mm. northwest england yeah yeah, yeah. Um, a beautiful part of the world really nice yeah it's the sort of place where everybody goes to retire you know yeah yeah uh, <laughs> so kind of growing up there was a little bit confusing in that regard because you know it's i think everybody tries to resist the pull of returning home once you've moved out but kind of the older that i get the more appealing it feels to go and kind of retreat yeah, from the yeah. city for a little bit you know so yeah I, I grew up there and with that came you know it's sort of a cliche to say really but endless inspiration from the, the landscape we have so many amazing mountains and and lakes and all the rest of it and it kind of with regards to painting kind of infused really seamlessly with my I mean I'm, I'm, I'm self-taught as, as a visual artist I mean I did study art until A level but what it meant was that pretty much every GCSE module or every A-level module was geared around the theme of environment. Mm. And for me, it just seemed to be such a symptom of where we grew up. It was, in some ways, it was an easy choice, lazy choice, perhaps. But it was just, <laughs> you literally, you could go on a walk 10 minutes from school and be really hard pressed not to find something to focus on or to, you know, to go and go and study a little bit closer, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Pen, I think it's Penzan train station where I, where I got off to go to Kendall Colin Festival. It's one of the nicest <laughs> train stations I've ever seen. Yeah, it's Pe 
Penrith, maybe. Is Penrith, Penrith is the one. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, one. yeah. That's the one. Nice. Was Penzance even in the late? Have I, I think, totally like made up an area? I might be completely wrong here. Penzance is a place, I think. I think it might be near Cornwall, but is, I'm not entirely it is sure. Cornwall, I'm sure it is. Anyway. Yeah. Unless um, you took Penrith. a wrong turn, wrong turn on the way to the festival, Jamie. Uh, yeah. I hope not. It would have been a long walk. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just as I, I mean, the next question is a very fun one. I love asking this. Do you have a favorite like word or phrase you remember from like that part of the world, that part of Britain? Yeah, I mean, so. I'm a bit of a strange case in the fact that both my parents were from the Midlands. So it's not kind of something that I was sort of brought up with. But there's so many great phrases, great Cumbrian Yorkshire phrases emerging in, in secondary school. And I think one of the most one of the ones that, that, that sort of most commonly comes up in my life still is that it will be reached. You know, if something goes wrong. I mean, it's quite it's, it's such a northern thing, I think, actually. It's a, it, mean, it means everything will be all right, basically. It's yeah, just yeah. A, it's just a bastardization of that that phrase. But I think it applies in a really particular way that's like, OK, well, we kind of assume that things have gone badly. And in the creative context, you know, you might mess up someone's eye when you're painting a portrait. And, <laughs> Or if you're writing a story that you, you know, you've kind of rushed some of the dialogue in a script, for example, because you have to meet a deadline for now and go back later. And that, that kind of, you know, that internalization of, oh, it'll be reaped. In the morning, it'll be reaped, you know. I like it. Yeah, sort of cynical northern optimism. It's like, yeah, I know it's a bit screwed up now, but, you know, have faith. It'll turn out. <laughs> no, that's a good answer to that. I like that. I like that. And I suppose, I mean, you touched on this at the start of the, of the podcast, but like when you sort of leave high school and you decide to go and do English lit at uni and stuff, like what was your sort of thinking behind that at the time? And like you were obviously still, I know you were doing a lot of painting and stuff on the side still, right? Yeah. You were still up doing, pursuing art, I guess. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I don't have a good answer. And I think it's maybe a bit worrying that I don't have a good answer because the real truth, I think, is that there was probably some... Maybe not exactly sort of intensely concentrated pressure, but some kind of sort of passive expectation from the school, potentially from that I put on myself to think about career at an early stage. And I think when I was at school, it was something that was missing in my life that people would or that, that it was conceivable that studying art would lead to a stable career. I mean, the real truth is that English is exactly the same. You know, they're, they're both creative subjects and they're both quite ephemeral in the way that they relate to industry but that was the truth is that I think okay well they were my two favorite subjects they're the two subjects that I felt most comfortable in and it was a real toss-up and I think what it came down to was some maybe slightly misguided thinking that English was more academic with a capital A which mm. again is I don't know quite where those expectations were founded it will have been through the school system because the school are motivated by mm. results and progressions and and these things and it's probably yeah I think it was always the thinking that I would always be able to paint. Yeah. And in some ways, you know, I do wonder how my practice would have developed with a formal education. And in some ways, I'm really happy that I didn't do it that way. And I found stuff out for myself and I have established a style that isn't necessarily rooted in formal practices. Yeah. But yeah, I, I that, that was the only difference, I think, was that I knew that I could still do that. And I enjoyed it. And at the time, I think there was maybe an element of me thinking, OK, well, even if this was just a hobby, I will always be able to do it. But again, I, I you know, I, I applied to do a master's this year in screenwriting. Um, it was a similar choice. I had that choice again to see whether I wanted to go down the art route and ended up making similar decisions. So it must be founded in something that that I don't maybe don't want to, to muddy the water too much with the way that my art is functioning at the moment. And I have, you know, a quote unquote academic side of my brain that I like to to root in writing, potentially, you know, in pursuit of some some greater freedoms with with painting you know mm. no it is just it's very interesting like we have uh, sort of like analyzing it as well i suppose and that maybe that idea of like maybe i mean i i obviously i'm not a psychologist i'm not going to try and psychoanalyze or whatever, <laughs> but maybe there is just that thing subconsciously where it's like you don't want to take the art into an academic thing so it almost takes away the magic of it nearly yeah sure and I think Absolutely. that's common. I think that's a common thing. I've heard quite a lot of artists that I've, I've met and stuff say similar things where they, they, it, they're so free in their painting that they don't have that in another creative way. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that came up for the first time this year studying screenwriting. It was, you know, it's the first time that, that those worlds have collided in some ways, you know, the, the academic and the creative. And it, it's, it's tricky, isn't it, putting yourself on the line in that way and, and having to scrounge around the last minute deadlines or to absorb feedback that you know you've asked for but is still something that is so close to your heart yeah it's a it's an interesting problem I think with mm. with academic 
sort of creative yeah. subject. But but I suppose like even writing, which I'm, you can have a lot of creative freedom and a lot of creativity and fun with writing. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not an artist, so I probably I don't know if it's for me to say this and, and I'm sure there's rules in art too but obviously especially now going down the script editor route which I'm sort of going going into yeah, yeah like yeah. screenwriting is kind of is grounded in base rules at the end of the day there's a there's a lot of rules around screenwriting you know in terms of story structure and how you apply that whereas with yeah. art I don't think there is that like and art, you can sort of do your own interpretation of art in a lot more of a broad sense I guess yeah sure and I think often it's to do with kind of breadth as well I think with screenwriting you end up probably working on a singular project that you edit and refine and refine and refine that has to fit into sort of a prescribed I don't want to say box because that's a cliche but again if you if it's if it's for a specific reason it has to be suitable in certain ways and the the good thing about but visual art is that you can kind of throw some paint at a wall for a while and then go to sleep for 12 hours and come back and look at it and then hate it and sort of get some, you know, charcoal and chuck that on as well. And then, you know, think about how I think basically it's it's the editing process is different, I think, is what it comes down to. And in the editing process, there's a great deal of freedom because it's it's easy to scrap and restart, you know, yeah. and. Again, if you're creating your own, it's in line with your own vision, you know, you can reduce those external influences and you can, you know, really sort of try to take control of the relationship between like process, like process and, and final product, you know, yeah. because it's completely on your own terms. Mm, absolutely. And this is really interesting to me. But I'm, a, I'm a sort of come back onto your art because I've got, I've got lots of art, art based questions for yeah, you. Yeah, no, it's cool. Soon. But um, just before that, like, I kind of wanted to know about, well, what, obviously, you were talking at the start as well, how you were a teacher for like seven years and, and yeah. that decision. But like, how did that end up coming about? You, you get into teaching and stuff. Where you Did you have a moment after uni where you did pursue the creative stuff a wee bit, or did you just decide you wanted to be a teacher and, and that's what you maybe were interested in doing? Yeah. You know, I think going back to what I was saying before about choosing. English as an option after sixth form is that you know it quickly dawned on me that if I didn't want to continue down the academic path to do a PhD which some of my friends have done then teaching is is a fail safe option and I think that's one of the things that that crops up time and time and again I'm listening to the podcast that you released last week with Liam uh, talking and again I think he mentioned that you know that it seems to be Teaching is something that is always a security and an option that you want to try to avoid. You know, it's it's a tricky inevitability, I think, when it comes to being self-employed, that it's it's a way of sharing what you've learned. And maybe it was an inevitable sim- symptom of an English degree to some extent. But yeah, I did have some time after university, produced the two paintings that I was proudest of in my last year of university. So in some ways, it was a, a boost to know that I was improving with my painting and that that would be something that I would definitely be continuing to do however I was quite burnt out it had been four years of studying mm. in in Glasgow and at the end I kind of just wanted to stop stop putting deadline pressure on myself and I think with that came a little bit of a step back from you know creative endeavors as well so I worked in a cafe part-time for a little while again I was mm. painting at the side I ended up getting some prints in in the cafe as well nice. um which was, yeah, maybe a way of justifying to myself that, okay, well, these things can coexist. And I saved up some money while I was in the cafe and we went on an interrailing trip with some friends, which was cool. Had a month around Europe. So I think that was kind of my way of sort of exhaling after four years of study. But it wasn't a year where I, you know, made loads of creative progress. But it You don't was, need to, though. Yeah, everyone needs a year like that. You, I mean, there's no rules. You could, you can, everyone can do what they want, really. Like, exactly. People, you just want, I mean, there's no right path. Do you know what I mean? It's whatever you, you, people feel like exactly. is best for them and stuff. And, you know, I was living at home for that time as well. You know, I was lucky enough that my mum and stepdad agreed to take me back for a short time <laughs> while I worked out what was next. But after the interrailing trip, you know, that pressure of, okay, well, this is slightly unsustainable. I need to be able to move out. I want to have my own life. So I applied for a couple of jobs. I ended up working at a kind of a homeware superstore for about three days <laughs> before before I my another friend of mine offered me an in at Kendall College, which is where I taught. So that was slightly embarrassing that I had to literally the day that I got sent my uniform, I had to uh, had to go in wearing the uniform, which in hindsight I have no idea why I chose to wear it because uh, it was quite elaborate as well. It was like a, a 
tie and all sorts, and then hand my notice in there and then, which is probably just as well. They they decided for some reason that I will be best suited on maybe from my time in the cafe, perhaps, but best suited to be on some kind of stall at the back where I'd use all their bakery products <laughs> and kind of showcase some scone making and all this stuff that I am truthfully so so bad at that it probably was a bullet dodge for them as well in the end. But I uh, I ended up getting this other job. And when I started at Kendall College, you know, the truth is zero hour contract, part time, but it was related to my subject in the sense that I was at the beginning a learning assistant in some English classes and that was super fulfilling it was really really great yeah, to yeah. be able to, to share what I'd learned and some and sort of support some people who maybe had been let down at school yeah. but also because I truthfully needed the money I ended up being kind of deployed in all sorts of strange and unusual ways in the college you know I, I ended up teaching animal care for a while <laughs> just as cover um, when people were off or I would have to be drafted in last minute to cover a maths lesson and that is certainly not my strong point so <laughs> we had all sorts of you know one minute I was teaching people how to look after a bearded dragon and the next I was desperately racking my brain to you know what I'd learned about long division when I was 14. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was quite a learning curve, but it was that's kind of how I ended up there. And you know, you just kind of get locked in, don't you? And it grew and grew. I did my PGCE while I was there, I think in my second year that I was there, and then got A level was basically a new addition to the college. So I was lucky enough to run the A level literature course on my own uh, when that started up, and later got support from my sister actually, who ended up teaching at the same college, which is really cool, really fun to design a course from from scratch. I met some amazing people, teachers, students, but the more time that I spent there, the less time I spent painting. And, you know, it was possible. Yeah. But I think what it what it meant was that I didn't have any free time and that I felt guilty if I wasn't working. You know, I mean, being a, being a teacher anyway means that you pretty much give up your weekends for kind of, you know, working on schemes of work and building resources and, and marking. So it was a tricky, a tricky blend, especially because back then in the beginning, I was still kind of feeling my way into my own art practice and kind of trying to establish, you know, style, the themes that I wanted to to try to to portray. Yeah, it was it was a tricky time in terms of, of making sure that I could look after myself and look after my mental health. And ultimately, yeah, after seven years, I kind of figured, well, I'm not spending, I'm not able to spend as much time as I want on the creative stuff. So it's time to time to make a change, you know. Yeah. And at that point, I'm, I'm, I mean, kind of discussed already, there was a crossroads between like, am I doing art? Or am I going to do the one in the writing side of it? So had you always been interested in, in screenwriting? Or is it something that maybe you thought that sounds really interesting? Let's give, let's learn about that. So my only background was in prose writing at that stage before I chose to study screenwriting this last year. And um, by that, I mean, obviously I'd studied English at uni, so I'd, I'd read, you know, decent proportion of, you know, fiction. And with that basis, I felt like I could give it a go. So when I was able to, and at the expense of all sorts of other things, I'd sort of sneak into a cafe and try to thrash out a novel or two. And I, you know, I finished, I finished a couple that I don't think they are, you know, things that I will be revisiting anytime soon. But it was nice to be able to prove to myself that I could do it. And it was a real yeah. opportunity to to sort of prove that process works. That if you can put a process in place whereby, you know, you are setting time aside every day and you're meeting realistic quotas, then stuff gets done. And it was the first time in my life where I was like, okay, well, actually, there's no obstacle here other than good time management, which for me is still quite an obstacle, but it's, it's nice to... <laughs> the terrible nice to obstacle that, for me as well. <laughs> for sure, but it's nice to know it's possible. So I'd written a couple of books, basically, before I decided to do screenwriting. And I think I have this thing in me where it's probably the same reason I didn't choose to study art, which is like, okay, well, I feel like I can do that okay. And the reason that... I don't want to study that further is because I know I just need to spend more time on it. I know what to do, essentially. I just need to do it. But I knew nothing about screenwriting. It was, again, it's something that has an entire industry based around it. And the dream, obviously, and with regards to writing would be, I mean, I love it. So if I could also blend that into part of a freelance career, then that is ideal. And screenwriting seemed like a really good medium for that because, yeah, it's so industry focused. It's something I've always been interested in as well. I kind of had a big boom in watching film. I mean, I was quite a latecomer, really, to, to film in a broad capital F sense and yeah it seemed like really good timing and it was something new which was just kind of what I was craving after seven years of, 
of, of the same stuff, you know. So yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of why I ended up there. I know, and of course, you come up to to Edinburgh, and you 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 do Master's Screenwriting Screen Academy Scotland, the, the place I was the year before you. But you know, of course, that's where we yeah, cross yeah. paths. And yeah. I mean, you've just recently finished that, so I suppose it's quite quite recent still. That <laughs> yeah, experience. for sure. Well, it's really recent. I mean, we we wrote a major project, which is a feature film, in a couple of months, essentially, and it was very grueling it was really interesting oh, to, yeah I, I know i'm sure you, i'm sure you remember <laughs> yeah, exactly really great experience though and so nice to have the excuse to do it i yeah. think yeah. you know without having we talked before about how that childish brain is slowly kind of cancelled out by fears of of rent and domestic duty and stuff and it was super super nice to have a reason to do stuff without feeling like you should be doing something else but yeah we, we're fresh out of it and i think it's now time to start kind of remobilizing a little bit but yeah there's definitely a significant expenditure of creative energy recently the thing is though yeah. with, with that like it take you have to as creatives and because we live in this sort of society we do and i'm not going to make a big broad you know blah 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 capital is you know is bad sure, statement yeah, yeah. or anything like that but i think there's such a and i i suffer from this i'm terrible for this but there's a constant mm. need to feel like you're being productive as a creative person Absolutely. and that's actually really draining and it doesn't work yeah. like that you're allowed to have three months for sure you're allowed it's to super... have three years if you want of not doing creative stuff exactly it, yeah. and it's really counterproductive and you're right that it's a product of the system i mean the big housing crisis in this country at the moment it's super hard to meet rent expectations you know it's, mm. it's it's tricky and let alone you know investing in your own business and then making allowances for free time and yeah it's uh it's really tough but you're right that it's a mindset that needs to be challenged i think that okay well i've not been productive enough here or okay i've done that but now where's the next you know burst of income or experience going to come from you know so you're right that it's healthy to slow down and i think in this past sort of however long it's been since we finished i mean it's, it's probably been two months now which is actually quite scary to say out loud because it feels like a blink of an eye and you know i've been working on projects don't get me wrong but it has felt a little bit like okay after any burnout which comes from kind of intense pressurized sort of submission deadlines you need to take a bit of time to check in with yourself and restart and and make sure you've gained some objectivity back about your own projects and what's next and and stuff so yeah that's kind of that's kind of where i've been recently no i i i, I, rem- I remember that thing very well Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts, but it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful, not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcast, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it, it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash job, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. But just to, to sort of touch on your art and and you as an artist, like you sort of described yourself as a, as a visual artist. But like, so is that how you would describe yourself? Like as a type of artist you are? Would you say pro- predominantly you're a visual artist? Well, insofar as I work with paintings, I mean, I yeah. would love to be, I would love to try sculpture. You know, it's something that <laughs> it's just, I'm only limited by, by the materials that I have at mm. the moment. So yeah, that, that's the term that I would use, but I don't want to, to limit myself to to that. And obviously it depends what we, how we define the word artist, you know. I suppose, there are, yeah, again. There are, yeah, overlaps with, with the writing there as well. And it would be really nice actually if, and that's a goal of mine is to, I mentioned 
you know, these fabulously illustrated books or these kind of incredibly sort of prolific like polymaths. I mentioned Alistair Gray before, but it would be super, super nice to find a way to kind of unite my painting with my writing. That was actually um, my next, one of my next questions was going to be, how do you think that art and writing emerge as things? Like, do, do they cross over in your head a lot? Thematically, yes. And I went through a little phase again, probably because <laughs> it seemed like a good opportunity to do it of creating pieces that were inspired by the scripts that I was writing, just to think about, okay, well, how how does this look? What impressions and, and emotions and atmosphere of, of, this, of the story, because the story always came first because of the course. Okay, how can that be sort of repackaged and recommunicated in a in a way that, that exists sort of intertextually with, with the writing? So that was great, but I mean, going forwards, okay, well, think about thinking about how art and writing tend to coexist illustrations being one book covers being another another i've thought thought about that a little bit but also we studied a graphic fiction module this year which was really enlightening and i know at the start of this podcast i mentioned that sort of five-year-old joe talking about maybe wanting to be a cartoonist because it seemed yeah. like it was an excuse to draw but for money graphic fiction is something that i'm really interested in now i wrote a script that i really like and who knows going forward it might be a stylistic sort of jump for me and I might have to modify modify my my process a little bit but that's an option and it's yeah. a really exciting option actually um, yeah you've got so many possibilities because it, as you say it's such a varied thing and I suppose it also is just what, what interests you and what, what sort of fulfills yeah. you um, but the word process you just used there I, I wanted to a lot of people when they listen to this podcast when I interview writers or whoever I'm interviewing mm. they really like to know what people's sort of daily process or daily yeah, yeah routine is when it comes to their their creative projects so like do you have a process for painting or, or doing artwork so i have one desk in my room quite a small room i have to do everything from home i wish i had a studio but my process is basically making sure that my desk is just for art so when i write i always go out i always go and it's that you know kind of pretentious racketed hipster thing where you sit in the back of a cafe and, nah, and stroke, stroke your beard right so so that's that. I, I keep the space in my room for painting. So okay, that's interesting. For a long time, and again, this might be slightly, I don't know, a heathen for saying this, but for a long time when I was painting, I would always watch something as well. And I did a series recently that was inspired by, you know, writers and directors. It was a portrait series. And I would always like to watch something by that artist by that director while I was painting. So some ah, kind cool. of holistic approach to, to what I wanted the, the portrait to, to be and how I wanted it to feel. But essentially, I jump between pieces really regularly. I think it's, it gets quite tough when you only have one piece on the go and it's not going well and you end up backing yourself into a corner or overworking it. So I like to, I like to spend half an hour, an hour on a piece and then pop it to one side and get a new one. And yeah, I mean, the actual content of the process differs piece by piece. Some pieces come together in you know, a very short amount of time. Some pieces take a lot longer. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's that's really interesting. And is there, I mean, this is a very, very hard question, but do you have a, is there a piece of art? I mean, kind of, I think, I think you said two of the best pieces you you felt you'd done were after your undergrad, but is there like a, a painting or a bit of art you'd created that, that's like your favourite or your most proud of? That's a tricky one to answer. I mean, it changes yeah. all the time. I think, you know, there's that horrible, horrible kind of impulse that you are only ever as good as the last piece you've done. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if that's something you recognise, but it means no, yeah, absolutely. Kind of, it's uh, musicians say it all the time. It's like, what, what's their favourite album or the, the most recent one they did, the one they're touring? Yeah, they just think that's yeah. Their, yeah. And I think that's where your head is, isn't mm. it? So I've done a couple of pieces recently that I really like that I haven't shown anybody yet. So hopefully that will be good. I feel like again I was able to refine some really effective processes recently. I did a series where I painted uh, authors, but I did it in a way that was using kind of these textural sort of decomposing materials in line with the kind of vision that I wanted for the series and I was really happy with how they came together in such a short space of time once I'd nailed the kind of procedural stuff so I was happy with those I have been collaborating with a musician from Austin Texas who I've been a fan of for 10 years Uh, and I was lucky lucky enough we're incredibly honored to work with during the first lockdown and since where I created some pieces of album art for him. He's called uh, Milets, who's uh, a guy called Henry Cohen. Uh, does some incredible stuff, started with sort of loop pedals and has grown into this really expansive, versatile, interesting creative. So I recommend people check him out. But I really loved working with him. And, you know, collaboration is something that I would love to do more of in screenwriting too, you know, going back to those stories that I used to write in primary school with my friends. There's something really liberating about 
coming up with something that is a shared experience. So I, I love those pieces actually, and not, not so not not purely even for the content, but for the for the process and the, the shared vision and co- collaborative element. Yeah. Yeah. No, collaboration has always appealed to me as a creative person. I don't know if that's just because I maybe like other people and I don't trust my own instincts now, or if it's yeah. just something kind of fun about it. And I think it's really fulfilling doing doing art with other people and creating stuff for other people. So that's interesting. Sort of continuing the artist arty themed questions, kind of. I'm gonna. I've got some kind of quicker fire ones type things for you. Cool. But first of all, like, who are your biggest influences on your art? Like you maybe touched on a few people already. Yeah, so I mean, from the literary angle, I mentioned Alistair Gray a number mm-hmm. of times, William Blake in the same vein, Leonora Carrington as well, people who who kind of seem to jump effortlessly between two completely disparate fields. I've always loved Max Ernst, uh, mm-hmm. really loved Max Ernst, and I have a real soft spot for surrealism. And, you know, I think that I was really into like sort of prog music when I was growing up. So there's a nice kind of link there between, you know, this kind of really experimental surreal music and these these sort of this tradition of, you know, sort of Salvador Dali-esque pieces. But yeah, I could, I could talk for I could talk for a while about, about influences and it seems to sort of be splitting into two categories nowadays where you have yeah. the, the kind of archival influences and you have the, the people who are, you know, producing really great stuff on Instagram, for example. Yeah, yeah. It's just in a completely different category. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a broad list that kind of yeah, jumps, uh, jumps through time quite a bit nowadays. Yeah, no, that's, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Another question is, um, do you have a, this is a very hard question, but do you have a favourite like art movement? You know, like I've always wondered this, but I've always wanted to ask an artist, like, do you have a favourite movement of sure. art? I mean, that's an interesting question and one that I wasn't really I didn't give you any. About. <laughs> no, it's cool. I mean, I really like kind of abstract expressionism. Okay. Uh, I would say, I think mostly because it's kind of context dependent and really kind of interesting. You know, we have aspects of maybe outsider art as well and psychologically some fascinating stuff uh, going on with, you know, these sort of what was, you know, slightly ineffectionately known as art of the insane and some amazing, amazing studies of kind of the human condition there. I mentioned kind of surrealism as a broad brush. Yeah entity before but yeah I, I tend to not it's a bit like talking about music really isn't it it's quite hard to to list interests by genre I think I really like I really like realism I mean a lot of the a lot of the first pieces I did were you know trying to aspire to this kind of photo realism which I've since moved away from but I think it was an important stage in my development to know that I could do detail in that way you know but yeah I think kind of I like to be motivated by the piece and the artist as much as sort of the kind of group things yeah no that's that's a good answer thank you for answering that and again again uh, you're gonna hate me for these questions but do you have a favorite do you have like a favorite piece of art like a painting or something that you'd seen in a gallery is like or Uh, you can give more than one answer here because i again i'm aware that these are tricky questions i'd say maybe my favorite piece ever is he's called europe after the rain maybe takes on new significance in a post-brexit world so yeah i'd say i'd say europe after the rain by max sense yeah is that by any chance the one that was on this in August in the in the festival? Or am I thinking something totally different? If it was, then I completely missed it. And there's a Ray Harryhausen exhibition on at the moment in Edinburgh that I've been desperate to go to, but I don't think I don't think I'm in Edinburgh now. If, no, if he no, was, no. it's because I was knee deep in the no, major de- project. It's definitely not that. It genuinely, might be me. Pro- probably not. Probably are right. I, I feel like you would know that, and I wouldn't. But yeah, um, and and sort of lastly on these sort of influencer question but like combining like your love of screenwriting and art like in terms of films and stuff is there like a film that you love like the, the visual aspect of it I mean quite a few things spring to mind again just off the top of my head I love Paris Texas mm-hmm. Vin Vendors I don't know if you've seen it it's a super slow I actually have reading. Seen it. it's great I really recommend it oh, it's, again it's, it's an emotional slow burn but it's just it's these amazing cinematography is great some amazing amazing shots amazing landscapes yeah again I, I could probably go down a bit of a rabbit hole here but that, that came to my head first so we'll go with that cool 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 well joe we'd, we'd, we'd be speaking for nearly an hour so i'm going to slowly start to, to wrap things up i mean yeah, cool. there's so much i could talk because you like and you're so knowledgeable and do so many different things there's so much i could ask you and i feel like we'd already went down a few rabbit holes which is always great on the podcast i love it when that happens but sort of the last something else i've been asking it's a bit of a, another fun question but like of the three categories so like a drunken karaoke night a sweaty dance floor or a hungover Sunday like which, which would you like to have of those categories um, maybe it's a bit of a strange an- answer for, for an introvert but the karaoke probably okay well, and what are you going to sing oh man so 
I mean, my sister and I once cleared out a whole rowdy English pub by singing Where the Wild Roses Grow by Nick Cave. Amazing. Um, I love it. I love so it. Brought, brought the mood right down. It was fantastic. <laughs> so, so maybe that one, I think, you know, other than that, some... some... I, I love when folk do that. I go on karaoke, they do a song that's like no one else really knows. Or it's yeah. not, <laughs> not suited to karaoke. Me and um, me and Noemi, of course, yeah. who you know from the chorus as well, once did uh, Common People by Pop, which is a great Incredible. song. The, the chorus of that does suit karaoke, but it's far too long a song and it, the, <laughs> it doesn't work for karaoke, to be honest. And it yeah, was like, yeah, kind yeah. of the same, like, it just, the reaction just, do you know what I mean? That, wasn't... that person who does Hallelujah <laughs> and by like verse six, you know, <laughs> even they're starting to flag. But I mean, yeah. Yeah, total eclipse of the heart and other crowd pleases. Yeah, maybe, depending on depending on the mood. <laughs> no, we're having the first answer. It's great. It's great. On the last day I took her where the wild roses grow, she lay on the bank. The wind lied as if he'd been back. Kissed her goodbye. Said all oh, beauty must die. And I leant down and planted a rose tween her teeth. They call me the wild rose. Just get a real shot. We'll sort of Another question, one of, the, one of the last questions we ask, of course, the name of the podcast, Just Get A Real yeah. Job. What's the, I know you kind of touched on a few jobs already, but what's the, what's the worst job you'd ever sort of had to work to support yourself as, as a freelance artist in your, in your life? Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned the narrow escape from the bakery corner in the, in the homeware <laughs> shop. I've mentioned the, the improvised animal care lessons. I, uh, I also worked in Waterstones a little bit before I started okay. uni, just part-time weekends. Because I like books, it, was, it seemed like a sensible choice. And again, there's nothing against the establishment at all. But what it meant was that certain sales policies meant that you had to basically offer deals at the counter to anybody who spent over a certain amount of money so mm. though i just i just remember being mortified sometimes when for example there'd be like an old guy buying some john ruskin and because it spent over 7.99 you also had to say okay well would you like katie price's new ghost written autobiography for two pounds as well and just having to meet their eye contact as they and i knew that maybe it wasn't the right it wasn't the right moment <laughs> yeah so so stuff like that was 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 funny and tricky at the time in some ways but yeah mm. i think between the between all of those that's 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 what i'd say yeah no fair and like just this is a kind of added madness in but like obviously currently as well you're kind of like freelancing a wee bit as an artist as well yeah. and selling paintings and stuff so how, how are you finding that and like where where are you so we're sort of hoping to take that yeah it's a it's a kind of a building process at the moment i am hoping to launch a website before the end of the year which should really help to streamline everything in terms of commissions and exhibitions and yeah upcoming um, events and there will also be a, a, a functioning mailing list as a attached to that which is really exciting and really fun i've had some great experiences with a guy called leo sartain who works at the rafiki gallery in edinburgh who's been really helpful uh, in terms of giving me some advice making that jump between well essentially my 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 practice operates through instagram uh, and word of mouth at the moment and making the jump from that to exhibitions and the artist network and, you know, making the most of, of living in such a vibrant and sort of artistically interesting city as Edinburgh. So lots of exciting things. Yeah, I've got a couple of pieces uh, hanging in a gallery at the moment. Amazing. Um, yeah, so it's moving. Um, yeah. Yeah, excited to see where it takes me. It's very exciting. And of course, the listeners can will, would link your, will have linked your Instagram in the show notes. And, you know, depending on when this comes out, maybe even the website. So, I mean, you, the listeners yeah, can go and fight, cool. can go and have a look at your art. And I, I strongly recommend them to do it. Joe's a very good artist. Uh, and I'm not just saying that. I genuinely mean it. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. But, I really appreciate but, it. But, like, before, before we wrap up, our last question is, and you have offered some good advice already, but, like, what would sort of your advice be to anyone who wants to work in the creative industries, whether that be as a writer, an artist, or just in general? What would you say to them? I would say be wary, because I still do this and I have done this historically as well. Be wary of treating creative time as free time. So what I would find after I finished uh, at college, for example, or even a day, you know, on the course this year, yeah. that I would unwind in the evening by sitting down with a painting. <laughs> and what that would mean effectively is that you wouldn't stop working ever. So it's to do with sort of priorities and compartmentalizing time a little bit more smoothly. It's really tough and it links to what you were saying a little bit about work-life balance is that if you're not careful, I find that I will just work forever um, yeah, because, because it's super hard to say no to yourself and to other people. And yeah, I think 
I don't know if it's a symptom of social media, sort of social media pressures that we're feeling at the moment. But I always find as well that I need to stop myself from replying to things instantly. You know, if someone asks you to do something, you well within your rights as you know, as whether it's as, as an artist or, or or even if it's just a, a job or, or a friend, even well within your rights to stop, to take your time, to leave your phone on the desk. Yeah, yeah couple of hours and don't have to solve everything straight away and and if stuff's not happening in the present then that doesn't mean it's not going to happen you mm-hmm. know so i think it's such yeah. an instant time though isn't it like you get a text and it's like you kind of i'm so bad for like what i don't need to reply to this right now or it's like you yeah. say it as well i love what i love the way you'd, you'd sort of articulated it it's like not using your art and seeing it as your free time because i'm so guilty for doing that yeah and i do it with this podcast all the time and it's, you know what it is because i love doing it but sometimes yeah. you have to also go well you also need to rest exactly so yeah and I know it's the same mean. thing you know you 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 make the conditions in your life so you can do the things that you enjoy so when you have free time you want to do the things that you enjoy and, and yeah. when that also coincides with with how you want to be sort of functioning making money as well it's really tricky and they start to blur and it's you know i'm sure even even if it's still fun you need to rest your eyes yeah <laughs> you know you need to absolutely for for to, some reason yeah. For some reason, creative people, we had an amazing guest on a while ago now, maybe six months ago, Georgia, who was a dancer. I mean, it's episode 31. And we talked, yes. they had a great conversation about like well-being. And as how yeah. creative people were, we seem to I'd not identify as being people that need to look after themselves and be healthy yeah. or what, for whatever yeah, yeah, reason. Yeah. And I think it's so crucial to being a creative person is like looking after yourself, looking after your brain, looking after your well-being. And I think that just this really ties into that, doesn't it? You know, it's it's so important. I mean, in an industry that is kind of where worth is kind of designated by these value judgments that you either give yourself or you receive from other people, I think our, our creatives are really vulnerable in, in some ways to difficulties with mental health because we spend a lot of emotional energy, expend a lot of emotional energy and really personal projects that that then have to function as something completely outside of ourselves and and sort of you know exist as objective things in in the wider world and you know it's it's been really tough to manage aspects of mental health when you are wanting to be efficient and you are motivated but at the same time you know there's only so much stimulation that our bodies can take at the moment. Absolutely. And I think this is the thing. I think when I was growing up, I always used to, and it's a really bad habit and I wouldn't recommend it. And I'm sure other people recognize it in themselves a little bit, but I would always try to make the most of, of the time where I was being created. But I said it before, if I was watching a film while I was painting, it's too much sometimes in terms of the overstimulation. I definitely yeah. remember times as a teenager where we'd be watching something like you know, family guy on TV at night with my brothers and stepbrothers and sister. And then I'd also be listening to music while doing it. So because I'd, I'd downloaded a new album that I really wanted to listen to. So I'd be watching something, I'd be listening to something, I'd be drawing uh, and I'd have a coffee. So it's literally stimulating all senses and then, and then surprised when you have, you know, anxiety. Really interestingly, like I was listening yesterday, in fact, I was listening to Scrooby's Pips podcast and, and Jimmy, Carr yeah. was, Jimmy Carr was on it. And he was talking about how creative people's minds are already v- tend to be overly stimulated. So like 10, usually if you're very creative, you actually tend to have anxiety and things like depression because not yeah. obviously that's not always the case. I'm j- it's a generalization, but sure. like it's because like you, your mind's usually creative. So when it isn't creative, it's still overly, you know, so it's, it's yeah. worrying about things. It's creating futures that, you know, catastrophizing and stuff. I just thought that was a really interesting Absolutely. point that Jimmy made. So kind of ties yeah, into yeah, what you yeah. were saying it's a really good podcast I distraction pieces it's great it's so uh, good yeah, we'll give you a good. plug please please uh, let's, <laughs> I'd love, oh god i'd love to to one day interview scrubius music fascinating absolutely. guy definitely yeah. but yeah absolutely i mean in lockdown i started running basically to mean that i couldn't do anything with my hands it was one of those where it's like okay well if you can't turn your mind off necessarily then put your body somewhere different okay recontextualize yeah. the whole thing and that's been really useful just in terms of giving yourself literally a breathing space you know yeah absolutely well joe i think i think this advice has ended up being amazingly great and we'd ended up having like a, a really good conversation off the back of it which i think people find really useful but joe i really really appreciate you giving us your time i've had a very very fun lunch break from work so i, nice. I, couldn't, I couldn't have spent it in a better way so thank you very much I've, no worries jim i've really enjoyed it too and thank you for running such a brilliant podcast oh you're too kind you're too kind Thanks for having me thank you 
Well, there you go. That was my conversation with Joe. Thank you again to him for coming on the podcast and chatting to us. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. It's always fun when you have sort of like a friend on the podcast because you just get to chat about what you normally chat about in real life as well. So it was good. And if you enjoyed what Joe had to say, please go and check out some of Joe's artwork. It's, go and check out his Instagram page. Joe's a fantastic artist and he does commissions and stuff as well. So keep an eye for that. And also, if you are enjoying this podcast and you've heard me say this numerous times if you're a regular listener, but there's lots and lots of things you can do to help and to help us find new listeners which is you know it's difficult to do because we're an independent podcast but you can do things like sharing us on social media telling friends and family to listen you know leaving us reviews on places like apple podcasts and nice reviews of course not not bad ones obviously hint hint five star but no thank you very much for your continued support though and if you can afford to donate we also have a patreon page and there is a link to that in the show notes but anyway we'll be back again next week with another episode of just get a real job but wherever you are in the world until then i hope you're well and hope you have a lovely week. Just get a real job.